Reading this morning is from Psalm 123, a song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Well, it's good to be with you today. Um, my wife and I and Andrew is here. Kristen is here. John is coming. You know, when a person becomes a young adult, they take their liberty and how long they sleep on their day off. <laughs> we did it, so we shouldn't, you know, look down on them for doing it. But we are really happy to be here. It's always a blessing to come home. And Nancy was saying, I want to welcome you home, but... Um, Maybe Jordan is your home. And I said, well, wherever the body of Christ is, is our home. So we're glad to be here. We've been in the Middle East now 27 years in the country of Jordan, which is 96% Muslim. And that percentage is increasing. Whether we are in an overseas work or whether we are here at home, ministering in the name of Jesus, we are all on a pilgrimage. We are all headed to our Jerusalem that is above. And Paul says, that Jerusalem is free and is our mother. That's where we all belong. On the way, though, and this journey, we meet with opposition, scorn, and contempt. The Bible promises us that we will face many trials. They will not diminish from this point on until we reach our destination. As Pilgrim says in Pilgrim's Progress, it's all uphill from here. So the only way to really make it is to keep our eyes lifted up. And the Psalms of Ascent help us do that. You've been studying them. You know, since Psalm 120, the Pilgrim is um, lamenting the troublesome circumstances around him the people who are lying and opposing him as he goes up. In Psalm 121, he then lifts up his eyes to the hills. In Psalm 122, he looks up on those hills to Jerusalem and to the house of the Lord. In Psalm 123, he lifts up his eyes to the Lord himself. So this is a very significant psalm, and it's part of the progression. So let's look at it together. As was read I'll read verses 1 and 2 again. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so are eyes to you. That's a very wooden translation. There's no verb there. The only verb is lift up. So our eyes to you, to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Some have called this the psalm of the eyes, the prayer of the eyes. We lift up our eyes, the pilgrim lifts up his eyes to you, not to him, to you. Very personal. 
He knows him. This king of the heavenly Jerusalem is not a king who refuses to be known by the people, who keeps his distance. As we celebrated in communion, he himself has sacrificed his own life that we might now know him and have a personal relationship with him through his covenant. He is the one enthroned in the heavens. Yes, we look to that one who sits in the heavens and judges all mankind in uprightness. He sat on his throne and ruled over the flood. In Psalm 2, he says, He sits, the one who sits in heaven, laughs at those who mock him and his anointed one. And in Revelation 22, the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. That is who we look to. We look to you, who are seated forever on the throne. Behold, as the eyes of servants to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so are eyes to you. Now, in the Eastern culture, servants stand at the ready all the time when they are on duty, and they watch the hand of the master. And with a gesture, he can command them to do what he wants. So if they don't watch his hand, they'll miss the command. The mistress, I'm sorry, the maidservant, has a little bit different nuance, maybe. We have a great uh, example of a maidservant and mistress in Genesis 16. The story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. When Hagar became pregnant, she began to look down on her mistress. Her status in the household rose, and she began to look down. So Sarah mistreated her. Abraham said, do what you want with her, and she mistreated Hagar. Hagar fled, and you know the angel came really to comfort her and to promise her uh, blessings to her offspring, to the child she was bearing. But he told her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Go take your place as a maidservant. Submit. So I think we have two qualities of, of, uh, that we should adopt from these little metaphors. One is to obey, be ready to obey as we watch. The other is ready to submit. Now, some of us say, yeah, okay, I'm doing that. That's good. And I hope we are, and I hope we're growing in that. I trust that we are. But then in verse 2, he says, our eyes. Wait a minute. He started in verse 1 saying, I lift up my eyes. And now he says, so our eyes to the Lord our God. The I becomes the we, or it's the plural I. Who is the I? It's all of us. There's a, a united kind of seeking the Lord and pleading that this psalm, I think, is getting at. And what I want to do this morning as we go through this is share some stories from the Middle East that illustrate the principles here and I hope will be an encouragement to us because the church there is learning the hard way to lift up their eyes to the one enthroned in the heavens. So in the 10th century, the Muslim caliph of Egypt invited Christian and Jews to debate. 
the Coptic Pope Abram, most of the Christians in Egypt at that time were Coptic, they were called Coptic. The Pope Abram of the Coptic Church got the upper hand in the debate. And so the Jewish debater responded by quoting Matthew 17:20. I want to read from your book, O Christian. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then he challenged the Pope to prove the veracity of his religion by doing just that. Well, the caliph was so delighted with this interaction, he said to Pope Abram, What sayest thou concerning this word? Is this your gospel or not? Pope Abram answered, yes, it is. The caliph then demanded that Pope Abram perform this miracle on Mount Mukatam. Mount Mukatam was an ancient quarry for stones, which some were used uh, for the pyramids. They quarried from the side of the mountain, and it became cavernous inside. So the caliph demanded this, and he said, you either do this miracle... Or you and all your priests will be either exiled or killed. Now, how do you think the Christians responded to that? The leaders called for three days of prayer and penance to lift up their eyes to the Lord. Pope Abram then went to find Simon the Tanner. Now, Simon the Tanner was well known as a pious and prayerful man, humble. He would carry a jug of water every morning to the old and crippled who couldn't get out to have their first drink of the day. According to the story, Simon instructed Pope Abram to go to the mountain with all his priests and the caliph, the caliph with all his soldiers, on the third day. So three days of prayer and penance, and on the third day, go to the mountain, which they did. It was then, on that third day, that Mount Mukatam shook. Some say it, was, it rose and fell. The caliph was so impressed that he not only let the Christians stay in Egypt, he also agreed to restore their broken-down churches. Now, fast forward a thousand years. Okay, Now we're not in the nine, 970s, we're in the 1970s. The governor of Cairo moved the Coptic Christians, who many of whom were garbage collectors, to the city dump, which was on Mount Mukatam. Now, these Christians were oppressed, they were scorned by their, the Muslim majority, and many had turned to alcoholism because of their despair and depression. Then a Coptic theological student named Simeon, okay, not Simon, but Simeon, he went to them. He said, why are you living like this? And he began in love and respect to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, his words and his ways, because Jesus says, if you follow me, you need to obey me. Their lives started to change. He began to teach them how to recycle the garbage they were bringing in. And you can check this out online. It became one of the, the most efficient uh, recycling projects, urban recycling projects in the world. Well, in the years that followed, more and more traditional Coptic Christians uh, became true followers of Jesus. And they needed larger and larger places to meet. Their tin-roofed uh, dwellings weren't large enough. So, by Egyptian law, however, it was virtually or almost impossible to obtain permission to build a church. 
and that's still the case today. Well, they found a high or a small opening high up on, on the side of Mount Mukatam, and Simeon encouraged them to dig, dig it out. Now, they needed to do some blasting, and the way they did that without people discovering what they were doing was to time it exactly with the cannon fire, the cannon shot, at the end of each day during Ramadan. That cannon is fired to signal the end of the fasting day. Nobody knew what they were doing. They carried rubble out on their heads. 200,000 tons of rubble. They finally reached the bottom of the cave, and Father Simeon said, we need to make it bigger. What's that? I didn't catch it. So they expanded the cave into a a church that seats 20,000 people. That's faith. Simeon faithfully preached God's word twice a week in meetings, and he also prayed for those with needs, for healing, for any special need. They experienced many healings, many deliverances, many conversions, and the people from the majority background began to come as well, to the point where they started another meeting on the side of Mount Mukatam every Friday for those people from the other background, and there are 6,000 who attend that meeting for prayer and Bible study. As servants to the hand of their master, as a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Are we as a church, coal community, lifting our eyes in humility to the Lord our God? Are we ready to obey the command of his hand? I praise the Lord for all the prayer that's taking place, and I hear of more and more every time we come home. There's prayer in almost every meeting that happens with men and women and mixed, with uh, Sunday school and all kinds of meetings. But I wonder, in light of this psalm, would the Lord be calling us to more corporate prayer? I mean designated corporate prayer. There is the prayer warrior prayer meeting on Saturday. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it's at 6.30, right? Every Saturday, prayer warriors meeting to pray. There's a new prayer meeting on Monday. It's called Plead, and it's Prayer for Unreached People. Just started up. I don't even think it's been in the bulletin. There are two corporate meetings designated just for prayer for the body to lift up their eyes to the Lord their God. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Life wasn't easy for the 10th century Christians in Egypt or for the 20th century Christians in Egypt. But he says, At the proper time he will exalt you. In verse 3, or I'm sorry, the end of verse 2, he says, Our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Just standing, waiting, watching, pleading, until he has mercy on us. And that's what Peter says, at the proper time, he will exalt you. But the prayer of the the eyes is now interrupted by the prayer of the tongue. And there aren't many words of prayer in this psalm. But in verse 3, he says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy. 
For we have had more than enough of contempt. The one seated on the throne of judgment who can do anything in uprightness and righteousness and judgment can give mercy as well. They're not asking for judgment on their oppressors. They're asking for mercy. And they are going to stand there until he gives them mercy because he's the only one who can do that. He is merciful and compassionate. No other God is like our God. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 5, Resist the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So as we stand lifting our eyes, we need to remember that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by our brothers around the world. Let me go back to the Middle East. The Anglican canon Andrew White, who has become known as the Vicar of Baghdad, and there's a book by that title telling his story. He first went to Baghdad in 1998, and there he found an old run-down Anglican church with a man designated to clean it. The vicar went back in 2004. Now, that was right after the invasion of Iraq in 2003. And he started his congregation with a few women devoted to prayer. The women would pray for the sick and the, and the dying, and miraculously, most of those whom they prayed for were healed. The church grew rapidly from 2004 to 2014, 10 years of intense persecution in Iraq. This is the time of intense persecution. This is through the period where the Arab Spring started. Over a thousand people from his church were killed for their faith. 7,000 people fled the persecution. 2,000 people from the majority background joined their church. And in 2014, when the Anglican Church ordered Canon White to leave Baghdad for his own safety, he 6,000 members were still there, standing firm. Canon White has led such an active gospel ministry of prayer and reconciliation that his life is still under threat, even though he's in exile in Jordan. And I might mention that he has multiple sclerosis until he has mercy upon us. Many people are asking, how is the Syrian church doing? How are the Christians in Syria? Well, after four years of brutal, brutal civil, civil war that has devastated most of the cities and displaced six million people within Syria and caused three million to go as refugees, causing a refugee crisis in the Middle East, after these four years, the church is bursting at the seams. And this is according to a pastor in Lebanon who is connected with pastors there. He said, even in the most war-ravaged cities like Aleppo, where all the ruins and all the ancient markets have been flattened, and it's very dangerous, it's very close to the, to the green line, where the pastor sent his wife and children away for safety but chose to stay himself, he says his church is packed. And the report is they have never seen such spiritual hunger in, in that country. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy, for we have had more than enough of contempt. How can these suffering brothers and sisters stand in their faith and keep looking 
lifting their eyes to the Lord. They believe what 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. What about us? Are we lifting our eyes to the Lord? Are we calling out for mercy? Whether for our own church, church in the United States, or the suffering church around the world, who Peter says, remember them. Are we casting all our anxieties on him and waiting for the God of all grace to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us? If not, why not? Why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we praying like that? I've asked myself that question many times about our workers in uh, the country where we are. Why don't we pray like this? I think this psalm gives us a little bit of a hint. Quite simply, it's because we haven't had enough of scorn and contempt. We're not fed up yet. He says in verse 4, Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the, of the contempt of the proud. Scorn and contempt. For these folks, these pilgrims in the Old Testament, came from two sources. One was outside their community, from the idol-worshipping pagans, who were reviling them, haranguing them, opposing them. And it came from within the camp, where those who were at ease among them mocked those who were going up to worship and tried to prevent them from doing that. And I think we, scorn and contempt, likewise for us, can come from what, without or within. Laughing, laughing at the worshipers. But remember Psalm 2.4. He who sits enthroned in the heavens laughs. The news of what is happening in the United States is alarming. Uh, Nancy mentioned the, t- the, the situation in Charleston. That body came together and raised their eyes as a result of the, the scorn and contempt they experienced. This recent Supreme Court ruling that will change our lives forever and feels like an impingement and may be an impingement on our freedoms is another way that the church is being scorned more and shown contempt more by certain segments of the society. Are you fed up yet? Because if not, there will probably be more. There will probably be more. But this sense, and the reason I say fed up, here it says we've had more than enough. Literally, it means we're fed, we're more than fed, or we're fed up. Use the word for eating or being satiated. You know, in our slang, this, this stuff has been pushed down our throat. We're fed up. But what do we do with that? What do you do with that? Let's go back to the Middle East, back to Egypt. Starting in the year 2000, a large evangelical church began a Monday night prayer meeting. Hmm, we have a Monday night prayer meeting too. And they focused on two main requests. One was that the Lord would unite the evangelical and traditional Christians. So all the Presbyterian and Baptists would be united with the Coptics and the Catholics and all the rest. 
in one spirit. And the second request was that the Lord would break the power of Islam, which holds so many in its grip, so that people could turn to Jesus Christ and follow him. This large evangelical church was opening up to what the Spirit began revealing. And many church leaders, mature church leaders, and I'm, not ta- I'm talking about Presbyterians here, okay, began having prophecies that the country is approaching upheaval. They started that in 2000. In 2009 and 10, 15 churches were burned in Egypt. Two Christian towns were burned. In one town, all the houses were destroyed and 1,000 Christians were killed, 2009 and 10. And though the government knew who the perpetrators were of these attacks, they did nothing to bring them to justice. Well, the Arab Spring worked its way over from Tunisia to Egypt and began there in late 2010 through the social media. Not, it wasn't just the church that was getting fed up. The whole society was getting fed up. Then on January 1st, 2011, in Alexandria, the Coptic Church of the Saints was bombed, and 23 people were killed and 97 injured. Terrorist leaders had warned the authorities to stay away, and the police withdrew their protection before that happened. This caused the large evangelical church in Cairo, which had been praying for 10 years, to call for 40 days of prayer and fasting. On the 22nd day of this 40-day period, public protests and demonstrations ignited in Tahrir Square and quickly turned violent as the public clashed with the police. The large evangelical church is just next to Tahrir Square. They immediately opened their doors for a hospital to serve as a hospital for the wounded. And Christian and Muslim doctors volunteered to treat Christian and Muslim casualties in the church. The church had not been praying for revolution. But when it happened, the church was ready to obey and willing to submit because they had been lifting their eyes for 10 years. Now listen to this. When the 40-day prayer and fasting period ended. Okay, it started on January 1st. When it ended, the very next day, the very next day, February 11th, 2011, the president was ordered by the military to step down. Again, they were not praying for revolution. They were praying for mercy. And God gave them mercy. Well, the military took over and it didn't get much better. Um... The evangelical and traditional Christians, they together became fed up as things got worse and worse. They came together and started praying together. They called for a prayer meeting, a very large prayer meeting. And where did they want to have this large prayer meeting? In the biggest church in Egypt. And where was the biggest church in Egypt? Mount Mukatam. It seats 20,000. How many showed up for the prayer meeting? 70,000 in the place where a thousand forty years before the Christians were crying out to the Lord, have mercy on us. That prayer meeting began a whole series of meet of prayer meetings with all the Christians. The events quickly unfolded. There were two elections. The second one opened the doors for a very gracious president 
who is showing mercy to the Christians. My Egyptian friend said, Christians are living a dream. They learn their role through prayer and that prayer brings in the kingdom of God. Some Christians stepped up and became parliament members. The new president is respectful of them and has even attended their prayer meetings. You know, in February of 2015, this year, 21 Coptic Christians were decapitated on the beach in Libya by ISIS. The president sent his prime minister. I don't know if you've... How many have been to the Middle East? Okay. The president sent his prime minister to go to the helms and sit on the floor. I said, sit on the floor, Egyptian prime minister, and console the families. 13 of the 21 martyrs were from the same village. The president ordered that they use government funds to build a church commemorating the martyrdom. In a country where it's almost impossible to get a building permit for a church. We lift up our eyes to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. For our soul has had more than enough of scorn and contempt. Yes, the first prayer request of the evangelical Christians was that the Lord would unite them with all the Christians in the country. That only happened when all the Christians became fed up with the persecution. But it did happen. And the second request was that the Lord would break the spirit of Islam so that those in bondage from that power would come to know and follow Jesus. Now, let me talk about the answer of that prayer. A peaceful youth movement began through social media in which a campaign called the Revolution Campaign invited anyone to declare that they were atheists. Okay, and their names would be put up. There was a statement online, and their names would be registered online. This was a private thing, but it was open to the eyes of the authorities and to the religious authorities. There were one to two million youth in the society that signed up for that. And if you've been to the Middle East, you know how dangerous it is to make a public statement of that nature. During the revolution, and especially when the Islamic party took over, Thousands and thousands of Muslims went to churches, to Christians, asking them what they believed. They are in Bible studies. They are meeting and worshiping Jesus. The second prayer was answered when the believers, all the believers, became fed up and lifted their eyes in unison and unity to the Lord. What about us? Are we yet fed up with scorn and contempt? Are we desperate for help, for protection? What do our sister churches around the world do? What will we do? Will we pray for them? Will we empathize with them to such a degree that we lift up our eyes with them and pray with them for mercy? When the church, when facing something like this Supreme Court decision, has a couple choices. And the media would say, and the shootings, the media would say, The only really option here is to fear. And what you do with, just get really angry and just fear. And what you do with that, it's okay. Well, the church can either withdraw from these situations or it can come out screaming in anger. 
But how are we going to know how to respond unless we lift up our eyes? So I want to encourage us to submit ourselves together to the Lord, to wait for his orders, that we might know how to be ministers of the gospel of grace in these days, to cover our neighbors and and our communities with prayers of blessing, and to learn how to minister to those who are caught up in in these uh, in these currents of of really evil and godlessness that are swirling around. In closing, I just would like us to do something very simple, and that is to lift up our eyes. So I'd like to ask you to stand, and we will we will read this psalm together slowly, and and we will, let's lift up our eyes. Let's say it together. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Amen.